Everybody, it's June fourth. Uh, it's a bit of a lighter show. It's it's kind of refreshing in that we don't have anything uh, catastrophically catastrophic to talk about tonight. But uh, we do have, nonetheless, a list, and then we're going to open it up to our. We, we're going to just steal the name Speaker's Corner, I think, because I grew up in the '90s and I have good memories. So we're going to open it up to the Twitter spaces for the Speaker's Corner after we get through a little bit of a rundown of what's been going on for the last few days. Now, we did our last live show on Wednesday. Today's Sunday, June 4th. So yeah, there's a little bit of ground to cover, but it's not catastrophic. The election's over. A lot of the, the politicos have gone largely uh, quiet. Some might argue, perhaps, a little bit too quiet. That's called a segue. Because our very first story has to do with a candidate... Uh, who got into quite a bit of hot water during the election, so much so that she has apparently been um, kicked out of, not allowed into, I'm not sure what the phrase would be. She definitely ran as a UCP candidate for the vast majority of the election. She had UCP signage on all of her, uh, or UCP branding on all of her signage, but uh, she apparently, and UCP was on the ballot, but apparently she will not be allowed into caucus for at least probably a solid 10 to 15 minutes we're talking of course about jennifer johnston and when we get to the her being a little bit too silent part we got to talk about the uh the attempts by the folks from uh lacombe pride to reach out to her and say hey you, you said you were going to do the work when would you like to start and the response has been, allegedly, resounding silence. I want to read a, a couple of lines from the article that's up on the screen here. So this is the gentleman in the picture here. His name is Jonathan, Jonathan Luscombe. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. Uh, Luscombe said he sent an email to Johnson, but says he never heard a response. He also sent her two messages trying to organize a meeting. There's plenty of opportunity for her to really reach out as we've reached out in several different ways to try and, uh, and not even accuse her of anything, but just to sit down and talk and try to figure out where some of these comments had come from, where we could help her learn and understand who we are as people. Luscombe said just how little effort was being put in her, put in by her to really rectify the situation was unfortunate. Now, there's no doubt that uh, a newly elected candidate's life is probably a little bit busy. They probably have some things that they got to do. I imagine there's probably some sort of new MLA orientation. Perhaps there's a lawn bowling day. I don't know. But uh, one would think if you had been removed from caucus, if you had been told that you were going to be able to join caucus because you had compared trans kids to feces, and if the premier of the province had come out and said that she'd had a conversation with you and you were committed to doing the work. One would think that perhaps given the fact that Pride Month started just a couple of days after the election, given the fact that the folks from the Pride organization in your community have apparently tried to reach out multiple times, you might try to make it a priority. Apparently not. Other interesting note, anyone want to take a, a, a really easy guess? as to who has not, through their social media, acknowledged uh, Pride Month in any way, shape, or form? Jennifer Johnson. So, there's that. But there seems to be this uh, recurring theme of, hey, uh, a really bad thing happened. I'm going to continue to do the bad thing. And we saw that coming out of the election as well with the celebration party. The The... The celebration night from uh, the the UCP, where uh, Mickey Amory he had himself a, a celebration. He posted for pictures. They had a great night of it. He he Mickey Amory did narrowly win his seat back. But here's the weird thing: if you take a look at the gentleman, the other gentleman in the picture, the guy's kind of off to the right. He's, he's not wearing blue jeans. 
uh, that guy there, he's, he seems a little bit familiar. You might be wondering, why does that guy seem so familiar? He's not a UCP MLA. He wasn't a UCP candidate. Why does he, why does he seem, seem familiar? Oh, right. That's Tariq Khan. We've talked about Tariq Khan a fair amount on the show. Um, because he's the guy who got removed, or I should say he, was, he resigned voluntarily, I'm sure, um, from the, uh, the Premier's Multiculturalism and Inclusion Council that she announced right before the election. He had to resign because he had a history of uh, social media posts that were not only anti-Semitic, um, they also appeared to be Holocaust denialism, or at least associated with Holocaust denialism. And some of them were quite graphic. They included a picture of Benjamin Netanyahu uh, eating a baby. Blood splatter and everything. Um, so Trecon had to step down from the Multiculturalism and Inclusion Council. And you would think that maybe if, uh, if somebody had had to step down from the council because of those social media posts. Oh, and wait, of course there's more because those social media posts were known about by the UCP. The whole reason those social media posts were highlighted. And we only know this because we were sent a copy of all of the posts as well as the letter from the UCP that very clearly said, Hey, so we were vetting you to be a candidate and, uh, you, uh, you couldn't, couldn't get a, couldn't do it because you've got this like, anti-semitism thing going on that's not great um so we're going to reject you as a candidate because you're incredibly toxic to the brand one would think the next thing that mickey amory might not do would be pose for pictures with that guy but nonetheless here we are um so that's that's kind of fun it's not fun at all it's actually super gross but speaking of things that kind of again How'd that happen despite all the bad behavior? We got to talk about Casey Madu because Casey Madu is no longer uh, an MLA. He's no longer a, a minister. Well, he's technically part of executive council until a new executive council's created, but um, he's, uh, he's out. He's done. Lost the election. He'll probably be appointed to the, the council of the defeated or whatever Lord of the Rings-esque name Daniel Smith decides to give her consultation council of unsuccessful UCP MLAs completely ignoring all of the NDPs who were elected to represent the constituents of Edmonton or even the city council that was elected to represent the constituents of Edmonton. She wants her own little, little click. It's more than likely that Casey Madu will probably be, uh, be part of that, but we got to do a little bit of background here because this is where it gets, gets a little wild for anybody who's not familiar. Casey Madu was, for a little bit of time, the uh, justice minister for the province of Alberta. Casey Madu got himself into some trouble, got himself into a little bit of hot water because he got a speeding ticket in a playground zone while he was allegedly on a cell phone. And uh, as the minister of justice, he did what he believed was best, uh, called the chief of police of Edmonton and said he felt like he was being targeted and that it was an unfair ticket. Um, the ethics minister and investigated and found that that while Casey Madu was unsuccessful in attempting to interfere in the administration of justice, there was not only a a cause to believe that there was an appearance that he had tried to administer or interfere in the administration of justice, um, but he actually did. The ethics commissioner said that he did. He tried. Um, it's just because the chief of police of Edmonton didn't let it, the conversation go to where Casey was allegedly trying to take it that he he didn't, but he tried. He was, he was kicked out of the, the justice ministry. So one would think, you know, that's not great. It's not a good look for a lawyer to do that because it's all illegal and stuff. But uh, apparently he got a parting gift from the, the government. One of the things that the justice minister, who also was Tyler Shandro, uh, but pending the results of the recount that we're supposed to be getting on June 8th, uh, Tyler Shandro looks like he's out too. Not going to be the justice minister anymore, which creates a whole list of problems. Uh, Casey Madu was uh, yesterday on the, on the 3rd. He was appointed to, the, to, to King's Council. Now, King's Council is a, a status. It's a, it's a title. It's kind of like an honorific. Like MLAs get to be called the honorable so-and-so for uh, posterity. Um, 
being called the king's council is is kind of the same thing. But this is where it gets wild because if you bear in mind what we were talking about in regards to Mr. Medu's uh, history with trying to interfere in the administration of justice, when we take a look at the selection criteria, um, there's there's two main categories that they look at. One is competence, and it's worth talking about some of the things that are are listed off in that category. Um, sound intellectual ability with a thorough, comprehensive, and current knowledge of law and practice in the applicant's field, distinguished, distinguished legal service with demanding and challenging legal work that contributes to the development of the law and practice, a rec recognized expertise in a particular area of law and practice, an outstanding ability as a lawyer in the applicant's field to, to a standard to be expected of King's Counsel. The professional qualities include a history... I, I, I knew I wasn't going to get through it. A history of honesty, integrity, discretion, and candid dealings in professional and personal matters, including dealings with professional colleagues, clients, lay people, and the courts, and in the execution of duties as an officer of a court. The trust and confidence of others, the respect of fellow lawyers, the respect of the bench administrative tribunals before which the applicant may appear, demonstrated mentorship of junior members of the bar. Those are the stated criteria for for being a, a king's counsel lawyer. Now, I I looked when when we were going over that, and nowhere in there did I see. Oh, and also lose the position of justice minister because you were found to be attempting in the administration of justice. Maybe it was a footnote. I don't know. I kind of skimmed it, but that's the thing that also happened. Now, speaking of Tyler Shandro, one of the big questions that's been going on is, hey, what's the deal with the recounts? So we wanted to try to offer a little bit of clarity in regards to what's the deal with the recounts. And basically, the way that the recount system works is if there's a difference between two candidates of less than 100 votes, Elections Alberta takes it upon themselves to do a recount. Now, that recount is supposedly going to be released as part of the official results on June 8th. So there's been some fundraising attempts that have been done uh, to try to get people fired up about, oh, the recounts, they're going to come out two nights ago. No, no, when we said two nights, we actually meant one night ago. Oh, maybe it's tonight. There's a lot of confusion over when the recounts have come up, but the, the all evidence that we've been able to find is that the recounts will be issued with the official results on June 8th. Now, what is everybody fundraising over? Well, the next option for somebody who believes that that recount was in some way flawed is what's called a judicial recount. And the criteria for a judicial recount are actually pretty clear. The criteria for a judicial recount, there's the right graphic, uh, the criteria for a judicial recount um, it, the applicant may be made to the court in accordance with the section for judicial recount of some or all of the votes of an election. The applicant application may only be made on one or both of the following bases. That votes were not correctly accepted or ballots were not correctly rejected or and or that a certificate and return does not accurately record the number of votes for a candidate. So the allegations have to be that inside of that count for that constituency, the votes were not correctly accepted, which means there were some votes that should have been let in, or there were votes that were rejected because somebody drew a smiley face in the circle instead of an X or whatever. Um, and that was not appropriate. Both of these require some degree of evidence. So you can't just say, hey, I believe this because it's a day that ends in Y. You have to have a little bit of backing to say, hey, this is why we would like to have a judicial recount. Because it's literally where a judge organizes and supervises a recount of all of the votes in that constituency. That has to be requested within eight days of the final, the official results being released. Now, there's two constituencies where two UCP MLAs, Tyler Shandro and Whitney Isaac, both came within that 100-vote margin. So those votes are currently being recounted by Elections Alberta. 
once the official rules out, maybe they issue a, a, a statement saying, ah, we'd like to have a judicial recount because I talked to Timmy and he said that, that his vote was rejected. That's what I heard. And then there could be a decision made to do a judicial recount. Now, what's fascinating, though, is the, the fundraising that's going on. On one hand, you have the, the UCP saying, hey, you know what? Maybe we're going to do a judicial, a judicial recount because reasons. And the NDP have come around and they've also said, well, we got to do fundraising for the, the, the judicial recount, which apparently costs in the neighborhood of about $20,000 for, for legal fees. Um, so we need, the, we need the money, everybody, because if the UCP launch a judicial recount, then we're going to launch a judicial recount. And that doesn't really seem to be how it super works, but that's the recount process. So we're nowhere near done because we won't know the official results until June 8th, and we won't know if any judicial recounts have been launched conceivably until June 15th or 16th, because that's how long they have to, to wait to file a recount. And if I was the, the UCP, if I was Mr. Shandro or Whitney Isik, then my strategy would probably be I'd wait till the 11th hour of the last day to file my judicial recount so that the NDP couldn't. But I'm no legal scholar. So do with that what you will. Moving on from there, there was some other significant big-ish news that, uh, that broke. And it's interesting because this news actually was hinted at a little while ago, but we're talking, of course, about the fact that Suncor announced um, that just a couple of days after the election that they were going to be cutting 1,500 jobs by the end of the year. Now, this was billed as, well, because we need a financial turnaround. We need to get leaner. We need more profits. But uh, there's some questions to be asked about that because it's also been reported in widely reported in the news that uh, uh, there's a new CEO. And that CEO has a bit of a history of, of saying, we need to do these things because of reasons, and those reasons may not have been directly attributable to what was going on. And where it gets really interesting is, of course, Suncor's profits are, are publicly available. In 2021, Suncor made $3.8 billion. Now, you would think if they're trying to recover from the bad year that was 2022, that number would stay the same or go down. It wouldn't effectively triple because in 2022, they made $11.5 billion. In the last quarter of 2022, they actually doubled the 2021 numbers. So in 2021, in the last quarter, the three months ending in December 31st, Suncor pulled in their adjusted operating earnings of $1.294 billion. In 2022, $2.4 billion. There's no question that, uh, that uh, Suncor, they're doing okay. They get a 76% increase to their uh, third, fourth quarter profits. That's not bad at all. So you can't help but wonder what's actually going on. Well, there's a lot of things that are actually going on. And one of the biggest ones has to do with automation. So one of the things that is coming around, and we saw this tweet from Imperial Oil earlier this week as well, where they said, did you know that Imperial Curl is the first fully autonomous oil sands op mining operator? It's true! Exclamation mark! Our haul truck fleet is operated from an on-site control room, and these driverless trucks provide cost, productivity, and safety benefits. Learn more at a bit.ly link. Now, not only... So automation is taking over. There's, there are jobs that people used to do that they can now make robots do. They can now have AI do, which is not only more cost-effective for the companies, but it's also considerably safer for the companies. But one of the other reasons that Suncor cited as having to cut 1,500 jobs was because international investors are demanding more carbon neutral work. Daniel Smith likes to talk about the, the just transition. 
and she's done a very good job, as have most of the UCP, of framing it in the context of Justin Trudeau wants to get rid of our oil jobs. That's what he's trying to do here, that Justin Trudeau with his socks. It's not actually what's happening. What's actually happening is automation and AI are replacing manual labor jobs. And at the same time, international investors, the people who have the money, the people who determine who get loans, who gets financing for projects, they're saying, uh, you know what? The planet's kind of on fire right now, so we're going to have to ask you to do a little bit better. And if you don't, then uh, we're not going to give you any money. So your move, oil and gas. The Just Transition, which was a terrible name for so many reasons. That's been identified. But the main idea of the Just Transition was, hey, we know robots and AI are going to take over the basic jobs and the more complicated ones, some of them. We know that international investors are saying, hey, you know what? Um, we'd like greener energy, please. And there's a boatload of Albertans who have built their entire lives about being able to access the jobs that are either being phased out by robotics and AI or by international market and financial demands. And there is literally nothing that Danielle Smith or the UCP or the NDP, certainly not the Alberta party, can do to stop any of that. There's nothing. It's going to happen. That's just the reality. The Just Transition was saying, hey, maybe we should retrain some of these folks for some of these new jobs. Maybe we should train them for jobs that are going to be able to allow them to have security and stability for their families. Maybe that's something that we should consider doing. But rather than embrace that idea and pursue security for Albertans, Daniel Smith decided to use it as a political football. And it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out over the next little while. We can go right to a quote from the CEO of Suncor here. I think we can eliminate work, Kruger said. If that's focusing on higher value activities, so be it. If that's eliminating low value added work, awesome. Last year, Suncor said it would cut its contractor workforce by 20% to improve safety and cut costs. On Tuesday, Kruger did not give a specific timeline for implementing his efficiency plans. However, he said there's no time better than the present. People say it over and over and over again. People get angry over and over and over again. But as much as there's people running around with the uh, the sweatshirts and the t-shirts and the toques and the things that say, I love Canadian oil and gas. Canadian oil and gas doesn't love you and they don't owe you anything. When it comes to the bottom line, when it comes to the choice between having a better bottom line or making sure that money goes back to shareholders or making sure that they're able to get investment from international markets for future projects or taking care of Doug. They will choose everything but Doug every single time. There's no loyalty. There's an incredibly effective marketing campaign that's been done. And we've talked about that. That was one of the first things we talked about when we kicked off our show was the incredible affiliation between some of those advocacy groups like Canada Action and a lot of the UCP folks who sought to politicize it, like Tyler Shandro was their lawyer for a chunk of time. So, you know, there's that. But that there's... There's no question that there's a change coming. The only question is Alberta going to be prepared from it. And it doesn't seem like that's the case at all. Now we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk for a second about a strange little example of what happens when you privatize stuff. We got sent a copy of the menu for the Royal Alex Hospital. Now, to be clear, this is the menu that exists for um, uh, not patients. So this isn't the food that patients gets that we're talking about tonight. What we're talking about tonight is 
let's say that you go to visit a loved one. Let's say that your wife or your daughter is in labor and you go to the hospital. Anyone who's ever had to deal with uh, the whole labor and delivery experience, usually the first one takes a little bit of time. Uh, maybe you get a little peckish during that 24 hours or whatever the case may be. So you go down to one of the cafeterias. It used to be that those cafeterias were run by Alberta Health Services, and they had some pretty strict standards for the quality of food and the nutritional value of food. Well, now something's changed because you can get a meal deal at the Royal Alex Hospital where you get a bottle of water and a bag of chips. And it's not even like the the regular size, like 7-Eleven or Circle K size baggage. It's the little Halloween sized ones that you get in like a cardboard box from Costco. Uh, you can get that for $3.89. If you want to upgrade, if you want to trade in the bottle of water and instead go for a Coke, you can get that meal deal for $4.29. Now, this is some of the specials that they're running. This isn't the full menu. We've heard some other things about the, the full menu, but we were sent this by somebody who who received the the specials and the the options for the month where it's it's pretty clear um yeah you get the 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 water and salty chips small bag for 389 meal deal um it was part of an entire flyer that was sent out and we shared the the entire flyer um this is under the what is coming up in june section it's sort of in the bottom bottom quarter there. Um, but this is a real thing. This is a real meal deal that's being offered in hospitals. Coke and a bag of chips. Now you might be wondering, what the heck? What happened? Well, we got to go back a little bit because it was announced a little while ago that uh, in the major centers, the decision was being made to no longer have Alberta Health Services provide those food services. Instead, they were going to contract out 100% of retail food services in uh, Calgary and Edmonton. Now, historically, they had like 40%. So if they had like a good earth, that would that would be the place that was contracted out. But if you went to the cafeteria, you'd still get the, the AHS made food. Now there were a bunch of people who uh, lost jobs. There were 240 full-time, part-time and casual employees who were affected by this decision, but apparently it saved costs. Gosh, I can't imagine how with a bottle of water and a, and a bag of chips. People ask, what happens when you privatize? And people make the argument, you get more efficiency, you get better value for your money. But as we've seen over and over and over again, one of the biggest things that you also get is for the same amount of money, you get a company that's more concerned about the bottom line than the quality of services, potentially, that they're providing to people. And after we posted that, we received a boatload of messages from people saying, oh, if you think that's bad, it's $12 for like a processed meat sandwich and a small chocolate milk and the meat sucks. That's what happens when you privatize. That's why so many people, when you privatize healthcare stuff, that's why so many people are so concerned about the charter uh, surgical facilities. And there has been no shortage of reports in the media and actual academic reports that talk about the fact that they've the, the the charter facilities have had a net negative effect when you adjust for okay so we have these many facilities that are opening up again we're actually spending more money to get less this is just a really easy example on a very small scale how that works Moving on from there, we got to talk about this because this is an absolutely mind-blowing story that came out from CBC this week. And as much as we're talking about, hey, when you move away from established services, this isn't a privatization story. This is a what are we doing here story. I remember after the election, we played a clip of it last week. Daniel Smith was talking about, hey, you know what? Uh, with the provincial police force, we haven't really decided what we're going to do yet. Uh, there's lots of municipalities that, that want to have their own 
police force. So we're, we're going to work on, on getting them what they need. Also, we're building out the sheriffs. Now, Daniel Smith has been a huge advocate of the sheriffs for a very long time. She's been a huge fan of the sheriff's department for a very long time. And it's very clear that Danielle Smith wants to expand the role of the sheriffs in law enforcement across the province. We saw the, the trials that she did where sheriffs were being put with police officers in Calgary and Edmonton to deal with the, uh, the, the lawlessness, the chaos that was occurring in those downtown areas. Um, they're, they're not, that trial is currently over. But it, Daniel Smith made it very clear that that was part of her vision for what law enforcement should look like. And when she made the comments that she made after the election, she was also very clear that she wants to build out the sheriff's office. But we should maybe have a conversation about some of the things that need to be fixed before we start expanding. So this story came out in CBC News. And this is, this is wild. So this sheriff was charged with assaulting his wife. He kept working. He was convicted of assaulting his wife. He kept working. So this guy who deals with vulnerable people not only assaulted his wife, not only was accused, not only was charged of assaulting his wife and kept working with the sheriff's department, he was then convicted of that charge. He was found guilty of that charge, and he continued working with the sheriff's department. But this is where it gets really, really wild. Because, and I'll read from the story, during Exner's sentence on two sentencing on Tuesday, in which Justice Donna Valgertson reserved her decision, so she hasn't made a decision about the sentencing yet, Exner's lawyer asked for a discharge so after his probation he would be cleared of a criminal record to keep his job the crown argued against the discharge citing the code of conduct and ethics and the trauma suffered by the the wife it is unbelievable and to be clear to be fair we've heard from more than a few folks hey these problems exist in the other policing agencies there's, there's police officers who get put on administrative uh, duties. There's police officers who do bad things and get put on other kinds of duties. Um, that's, that's a whole separate conversation. But if this organization, the sheriffs, saw, hey, this guy was charged with assaulting his wife, and then he was convicted of assaulting his wife, let's keep him on the payroll. Let's keep him in the job until he gets sentenced, and then let's see what happens after that. Now, there's a whole lot of editorializing that I could do about anybody who feels like it's appropriate to lay hands on their family in that way. I could probably do an hour on that alone. It would turn into a great big grant. I don't think anybody really wants to hear it. But short version is that's what cowards do when they don't feel like they have control of a situation. You can only wonder, given that Danielle Smith has said and has put sheriffs in the position of being in direct contact with some of the most vulnerable Albertans out there. How this organization possibly felt that it was appropriate to keep this guy in that role, to keep him employed. There are no shortage of horror stories of people in positions of authority and law enforcement officials in positions of authority abusing that authority. There is a problematic culture that exists that absolutely has to be addressed. But at the very least, in almost all of the examples that people sent us of somebody who assaulted someone or was accused of assaulting someone or was charged with assaulting someone, until they were convicted, they were, putting, they were put on administrative leave or they were put on leave with or without pay. They weren't having the argument, 
hey, you know what? After they're done, we should just discharge everything so that they can go back to doing their job. I don't believe that people should have to carry the consequences of their bad decisions for their entire lifetime, especially if they're willing to do the work to heal and do some form of reconciliation. But there comes a point where you have to say, hey, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't be dealing with vulnerable people who already have a boatload of trauma, who already have an incredible fear of authority. Maybe, maybe that's not the job for you. And maybe we as a society need to draw a line where we say, hey, if you've done this thing, if this is the line you've crossed, you don't get to play in that sandbox anymore. You can find a different sandbox to play in. Timmy's is hiring. Lots of jobs out there. Fewer, it seems, in oil and gas these days, what with the robot trucks and all. But there's still lots of jobs out there. But we need to get to a place as a society where we demand not only from the law enforcement bodies, but from the elected officials and from the police commissions that define how those law enforcement bodies behave. Once you cross certain lines, you don't get to go back because other people can be hurt. Now, I got to be clear. There's no we couldn't find any reports of this sheriff uh, assaulting anyone other than his wife. So there's, that's pure speculation. But there's a very specific kind of psychology that exists when people start to go hands-on with their loved ones. It's about power. It's about control. It's about insecurity. It's about a lot of bad things. And until those bad things are fully squared away, the notion that somebody just serves their sentence and then they get to go back is not something that we should be risking anybody's health or safety with. Now, we opened up the show talking about Jennifer Johnson. And I just want to go back to that before we go to our feel-good story because we got a little bit of a, a funny feel-good bit tonight. It's kind of perfect and then even more perfect. So we're going to share that with you in just a sec. But it is... Pride Month. And we talked about the fact Jennifer Johnson got in a lot of trouble because uh, she said some horrifying things about trans folks. And um, Daniel Smith made it very clear she'd had a conversation with Jennifer Johnson and Jennifer Johnson had said she was going to do the work. But again, just before we went to, to air tonight, uh, we checked Jennifer Johnson's social media and there was no, uh, there was no indication of her even acknowledging Pride Month. And as we opened up the show, there is more than a couple of news stories of folks saying, hey, we tried to reach out with her and the social media message that we sent to her showed as red, but she still didn't uh, reply. So what's up with that? But it's not just a UCP problem. And we need to be a little bit clear about that. Because there was another candidate who got themselves in a... In a, bit of, in a bit of trouble, let's say. It was an NDP candidate named Sharif Haji. He put up a, uh, a series of offensive tweets uh, back in 2015. Now, I know what you're going to say, 2015 versus 2023, there's a big difference, there's a time difference, and I'm not entirely offside with that argument. He did do a much better job of apologizing. He did do a much better job of committing to doing the work to make the change. Um, but here's the thing. We went through his social media right before we went to Air 2. He's got a lot. He's been active. He's been doing some things. He's got tweets. He's got Facebook posts. The closest acknowledgement that we could find from this gentleman who committed to being, and this is a quote, a champion for the rights LGBTQ2S plus Albertans, as well as those from other marginalized communities, should I be elected to the legislature to serve the people of Edmonton decor? That champion has not personally acknowledged the existence 
of Pride Month yet. Now, we're recording this on the 4th, so there's still a bunch of days left. But one would think, with the same condemnation that we're offering up for Jennifer Johnson, hey, you know, maybe this should have been a priority given the scandal and all, that perhaps Mr. Aji could have found the time to uh, throw up a, a happy Pride Month. But the closest he got was a retweet that we could find, and we're happy to take correction on this. The closest that we could find was a, uh, a retweet of Irfan of Sabir's acknowledgement of pride. Which, I don't know, maybe my standards are high, but that just doesn't feel super champion-y. I could be wrong. But let's get to the fun stuff, shall we? So, we make a lot of jokes about the Western Lord standard, I mean Western standard, um, because, well, they spend a lot of time being terrible. The Western standard is the uh, outlet who published the horrifying speculative editorial uh, about Janice Arendt potentially being the Minister of Education should the NDP get elected. That editorial that was later uh, withdrawn and apologized for by the author, never by the Western Standard, though. And they've, oh, they, they lean into it. They also were the ones who uh, some people might say manufactured or amplified the manufactured story about the, the trans person swinging their genitals around in the, the, the change room, uh, that they able to, were able to whip up enough hate that the Calgary Police Service actually had to issue a statement saying, well, we investigated it and it didn't happen. So, you know, there's that. The response from the Western Standard to that, oh, no, we swear it happened, even though we've now... In a fantastic twist of irony, change the gender of the person involved in the story because it's just perfect that way. But uh, the Western Standard, uh, short version, they, they still demand, though. There was a lot of controversy during the election because the Western Standard demanded uh, the NDP. They got to answer our questions. They're not answering our questions because they didn't. We haven't apologized. And we commented on our last episode about how that was mishandled by the NDP. Um, so we're not going to relitigate that. But the Western Standard was very, very upset that the journalistic credibility was in any way being called into question. And then we found this little gem today <laughs> i wish i was making this up but it's just two 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 perfect the western standard tweeted out today with a graphic western standard who are to be taken seriously as a news and media organization they got news in their their twitter handle so they must be news um they tweeted out, I think it's an advanced form of intelligence that is using some kind of intermediaries. It's not that they walk among us wearing a skin suit. You're going to put something out there that I think of as an intelligence test. They are here. Stanford prof says aliens are among us. With a Mars attacks graphic attached to it. Because that's how you can always tell the serious journalistic outlets. Now, you might be thinking... How do you get any better than that? How does it get more ridiculous than the Western Standard tweeting out that aliens are among us with a, a, a Mars Attacks Angry Martian graphic? How do you get more ridiculous than that? How does it get, how can you possibly make it any more Western Standardy? Well, to get the answer to that, you'd actually have to read the article, which we did. And it's fantastic. Because right smack dab in the middle of the article, as if the branding was determined by someone to, to align the market groups would somehow be the same people. The people who would read this article would also be attracted to the, the ad offering. We see a giant banner ad for Take Back Alberta, where you can just click on the banner to volunteer. It's worth remembering David Parker is a partial owner of the Western Standard, the objective media organization, which is fascinating because not only does that mean that David Parker owns part of the Western Standard, but that his wife is also a, and again, I'm going to call her a writer, author, perhaps. I don't know. You have to write like a novel to be an author or do you just get to be, if you make up fiction, you get to be an author. Um, 
for True North. So David Parker has his, his fingers in many of the pies of the, uh, the, the alt-right media that exists out there who, when they're, who are so credible that when they're not making up fiction about what Janice Irwin would do as education minister, they're talking about the aliens who live among us while advertising Take Back Alberta. So there's, there's that. And we got one other little piece of housekeeping that we got to do before we open it up to the Twitter spaces. If there's anybody who's out there on the Twitter spaces who have any thoughts that they want to share, obviously, if anybody does, I mean, hopefully we don't go with another Lord of the Rings sized uh, episode uh, because I don't think I can do three hours <laughs> again, just four days later. Um, but the floor is absolutely open to everyone after we finish up this little bit of, of housekeeping. And I can see a, a couple of names that might uh, maybe have some thoughts that they want to share if they do. Um, there's a couple of housekeeping items. First one we got to do is we got to... The difference between, I don't know, uh, media outlets that uh, publish editorials about aliens walking among us and uh, us is that we'll own our mistakes. Um, so uh, this has been talked about quite a bit. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we addressed it not only in the uh, the Twitter spaces and the Facebook spaces where this happened, but also we wanted to address it here to make sure that we covered all of our bases. We were, among others, sent an image of an apparent memorandum that announced that Dr. Dina Henshaw had been given a contract with Alberta Health Services um, to work within the Indigenous health realm, which she does have a background in. Um, we were also provided at the same time multiple screenshots from people who, well, I shouldn't say screenshots, there were pictures of screens, uh, who demonstrated that Dina Henshaw's email is actually still active. So we threw it out there with the question, guess who's back, question mark. Well, quite a few people were, were, were taken in by this. Um, and AHS, the next day, issued a statement that was confusing and contradictory and, 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 where they said, HS statement, semicolon, HS doesn't speak to personnel matters. Then they speak to a personnel matter and say, Dr. Henshaw is not employed by AHS. HS is reviewing the position and remains fully committed to working with indigenous communities and working to improve health outcomes for all communities and populations, which is a little bit of a word salad. And a lot of people were quick to say, well, you know, technically doctors aren't employees, they're contractors. And it turned into a whole bunch of, uh, pedantry um and we've said it before we'll say it again we'll keep saying it we do commentary we do satire but we're absolutely not journalists so we put up a thread on the twitter machine where we very clearly said hey you know what um this has gotten complicated it's more complicated than we have the resources to deal with we've handed off all of our uh all of our materials to journalists and said here's what we've got do what you will um we're not journalists here at the breakdown and we received that graphic from a couple of sources that were uh, quite, have historically been quite credible for us. We don't know where this lands. We don't know where it's ended. We've, we're, we're waiting to see what the journalists do with it. Um, but we want to be clear. We did do one other thing with that graphic. We did redact the, the email that was listed as uh, Dr. Henshaw's email on that. Because doxing people isn't cool. It's possible, and it has. Some people have said that that graphic, the the memo, was a complete fraud. If that's the case, we're sorry. We had reason to believe that it was worth having a conversation about, at the very least. We didn't make any statements about its validity, but we can certainly understand how some people may have had the impression that uh, we were saying that it was absolutely true. It's not what we were trying to do. What we try to do here at the breakdown is have some fun, start some conversations. Because there's a lot of conversations that we need to have. And with that, I want to share, before I open it up to the floor, uh, we've got a conversation. I'm so excited about this one. I can't believe that, uh, that we got this guest not once, but twice. And not just for a one long form conversation, but two. 
one of the the biggest interviews that I was very excited to do heading into the election was a conversation with 14 year MLA former minister, former deputy premier Thomas Lacasey. During the election, Thomas Lacasey came up with the idea of, hey, you know what? There's a lot on the line in this election. We've got a lot going on. Um, maybe we need to think about lending the NDP some votes. And he advocated very strongly that people lend the NDP votes. Well, we sat down with Mr. Lukasik for sort of a, a post-mortem, if you will, of the campaign on both the UCP and the NDP side, as well as a long-form conversation around some of the things that he's been highlighting over the, the last couple of weeks, and particularly since the election happened, that have to do with the fact that there are a lot of people who are using hateful language and using hateful rhetoric that is emboldening people to say things that they wouldn't have said six months ago, a year ago. There is an encroaching hate that is happening in the province of Alberta and across the country. And there are people that are targeting small groups in order to try to make themselves feel more powerful, in order to restore things to normal even though that normal was the oppression and repression of those folks. But that's the thing that's happening. And that was a big part of the conversation that we had with Mr. Lukasik. Um, that conversation is going to go up an hour after we end the show for our Patreon sponsors. And it will be streaming live, well, streaming recorded live, um, on Wednesday. Because the plan is, going forward, we're going to do our interview episodes on Wednesdays. And we're going to be doing our live shows on Sundays. Reportedly, the cabinet announcement is coming down fairly quickly. So that will be interesting to see. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Now, all of that being said, this is where I'm going to open it up to the floor. If anybody wants to uh, join in on the Twitter spaces, just click the little microphone thinger. Love to hear what you have to say. And uh, I'm going to vamp for a second on the, the Patreon plug again. And if nobody shows up, then that's totally cool because we're coming up to an hour anyways. And, uh, oh, there we go. That's all it took. Um, excellent. We're going to bring in yeah. Ada. It's connecting. Hopefully uh, he's able to, to join in. Ada, what's going on tonight? Uh, nothing much. Uh, I just wanted to call in and uh, voice my ever-loving concerns about our beautiful provincial government. Uh, I just want to quickly make a thing that I've noticed. Uh, over the years, when it comes to Alberta, uh, uh, Alberta's politics, we understand how linked it is with the uh, uh, American right-wing movements, not only within our waves of following their, uh, benefiting from their oil crisis, which drived in American, uh, you know this, like the bourgeoisie, blah, blah, blah. But instead of using big language, I just want to focus more on one thing. That uh, the key point of economic flow, if the Alberta government chose to develop more into, uh, sub-rural, like the uh, towns just outside of Edmonton, uh, Calgary, Lethbridge, if they focused on connecting those to their urban centers, that would not only help with this whole problem of... Uh, I Okay, I shouldn't say like this whole problem of conservatism, but this uh, very enclosed mindset of uh, conservative mentality... Because when it comes to more rural and isolated uh, locations, it is that isolation which keeps them within a conservative uh, grip. When they talk to other people and socialize, it's very clear to get out of that very indoctrinated mindset. Uh, but yeah, that's all I want to add, that I don't think the conservatives will be doing any form of meaningful development to their rural population because they need them to suffer for the vote. I'm going to draw a little bit of delineation there for just, just because I think it's, it's important. I think one of the <laughs> things that we need to be clear on is using conservative as a blanket term doesn't mm -hmm. work anymore. Um, yes. And I think we saw that with the number of Lougheed era and Klein era 
PC conservatives who came out and spoke out against the United Conservative Party in this last election. I think that the, the calling somebody a conservative has become a catch-all term that basically describes anybody who, I mean, in this province, anybody who isn't NDP. Um, and I'm not sure that that necessarily furthers the conversation. I'd also challenge you a little bit on the uh, the the idea that uh, it's the isolation piece. Uh, I don't think it's the isolation piece. I think more than anything, what we're seeing is there are people who are being introduced to the internet. There are people who are being introduced to social media and they haven't necessarily, uh, there haven't been substantive conversations about this is what the bullshit is. This is what the bullshit isn't. I think that there's a lot of people who have, who believe, uh, and, and there's the recent studies from, uh, I can't remember his name. I put the graphic up on our last show, uh, where he talked about the fact that when you take a look at how people tend to vote when they're, they were voting UCP, they are disproportionately influenced by missing, missing disinformation. Um, and I think that the, the, the problem that we have, especially in rural, and I say this as somebody who grew up rurally, I mean, we had the whole conversation about bovine uterine prolapse last show, which I didn't see coming, but was awesome. Um, but uh, I think part of the problem that we have with the, the rural communities is that because there is so much reliance on their community, when somebody in the community says, hey, you should check out this Facebook page because it resonated with me, that automatically lowers for some people the, the well, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. And I mean... There were there was no shortage of people, and I'll go back to this. The 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 Dina Henshaw memo. Um, it's gonna be like I said. I, I I can't speak definitively on whether or not it was 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 real or not. But if it wasn't real, then we got taken in by it too. So, you know, it it happens mm -hmm. to everybody. But I think the most important part when we encounter that misinformation and disinformation is when we say, "Well, they got me." That's how it happens. Because that shows it can happen to anybody. And that's the, the, the most important part is to be able to say to people, hey, you know what? It, it can happen to anybody and we have to be objective. We have to be willing to go back and take a look at things and go, well, maybe they got me. Um, that's the part of the conversation that I think is missing so much for so many people because so many people believe that being taken or being wrong about something instead of viewing it through the lens of it being an opportunity for growth they look at it as um i'm a i'm bad and that's not true so that's that's my that's my response anything you want to you want to you want to rebut there or uh i did uh i do agree with you on a few things of like uh I, using conservative uh was wrong on my part obviously like for a few reasons but yeah you did make a great point of pointing out the lack of enfranchisement they have with compared to like other urban populations i guess sorry i should make it distinct what about the urban population makes them uh, in my sense like more progressive which is also again just functionally very very uh, icky because it's conflating a lot of things but when it comes to urban centers it is the more global connections that they can provide because they have a lot of these uh, national shows global events uh they have uh stadiums for uh like uh guests to come in from all around and that's the thing that a lot of the rural population goes for but when it comes to the environment and the living situation of community it would make sense for the government to try and help cities move their population and help develop the peripheral rather than try and expand their suburban core because that would need sorry that would lead them to needing to start more urban cores by themselves, which is far more difficult to do than to expand and aid and incorporate. Uh, does that make sense? It does. The, the only thing that I would kind of counter challenge you on is mm. uh, if you take a look at where, uh, where in Alberta did uh, 
the the Ontario import Kevin J. Johnston decide to run. Mm. He ran in Calgary. Where in Alberta does Arthur Pulowski call his home base? Where has he built up all of his strength over the last however many years? Calgary. Mm. So I think that there's 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 I think it's probably you know one of the things that I'm looking forward to doing, and you've given me an excuse to talk about this, is I'm looking forward to doing a follow up with uh, the the Common Ground initiative um, because they do a very very good job about talking about polarization and the the details of that. So we're, that's something that's a conversation that we're going to be hoping to have in the next month or two because I know uh, that they have some some new information doing in their field. But I want to thank you so much for tapping in tonight, man. Thank you as well for having me. It's been lovely to listen to you guys speak and everything like that. Oh, thanks, Thank man. Thank you again. All right. I'm going to bring in Guy. Um, I'm going to try for it, and I'm going to get it very badly. But I just finished talking about making mistakes and being wrong, so I'm going to go ahead and lean into this. Guy, whose Twitter handle is at Guy Quinneville. Yes. Uh, good evening, there, uh, Nate. How'd uh, I do? You're you're doing awesome. You're doing awesome. I met with your last name. It's all good. Okay. That's I respond to Gee Goo Guy Guy that guy over there. Oh, it's all gee, good. I should, oh. See, I, I <laughs> anglicized the hell out of that. I apologize. What's going on? Not at all. Uh, I just wanted to follow up on that autonomous vehicle uh, thing that you brought up. Um, I just want you and your listeners to understand that uh, AI is affecting the workplace uh, way beyond just autonomous vehicles. Um, we're, like in my role, I've been following uh, what major employers have been doing, um, you know, with AI. And one area that I'm getting really concerned about is an area called predictive uh, analytics. And uh, Employers, uh, even national employers, they're starting to play around with predictive analytics as a way of, you know, separating, you know, staff they want to keep, staff they don't want to keep. Uh, you want to request training. Well, what does the predictive analytics model say about whether or not you're going to stay for the next five years? Oh, you're not going to stay? Well, we're going to not <clears throat> refuse your request for additional training. Uh, micro-targeting of job advertisements. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And just to give you an idea how silly this gets, I mean, I have one uh, national employer that I deal with in my role where, uh, you know, they advertise uh, a staff satisfaction survey. It's supposed to be anonymous. But get this, your login is your employee number and your password is your SIN number, you know. And so it's like, you know, <laughs> what are these employers doing? But I just I wanted to encourage you and your listeners to understand this is way more than just like like I said self-driving vehicles. This is about really limiting your possibilities in the workplace using artificial intelligence, using models like predictive analytics, you know, to help the company understand whether or not they're going to get what they want out of you. So, I just figured I'd throw that out there for you. That's some like legit minority report kind of stuff that you're talking about there, man. <laughs> That's that's deeply, deeply terrifying. Yeah, I mean, it might be a good show, you know, for you to kind of dig in on. Uh, I'm, I'm literally I mean, writing it, all this stuff down as you're talking. <laughs> the you know, well, Edmonton has a you know a center for for AI, for example, and you know, if you want to pick my brain later, uh, you're more than welcome to because um, I, 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 I you know, as somebody who represents workers. I'm really, really, really concerned, you know, about how AI is going to be used uh, in an unregulated way, uh, you know, to really control people's, you know, I guess, chances in the workplace because stuff's to come. And I, I put another link for you, uh, Nate, in the uh, in the YouTube chat. You might want to check out as well. Uh, that one is on data and algorithms uh, in the workplace. Um, if you can't find it, uh, just send me a DM and I'll fire that off to you. Yeah, we'll do for sure. I'll take a look. I was, I was, I always read through the comments after the show because if uh, I pay too much attention, like we have somebody who moderates them, but if uh, I pay too much attention to them, then I tend to go squirrel, and the whole thing goes off the rails. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But uh, yeah, no, thanks, man. I appreciate that, and I will definitely be sending you a, a DM as well because you've piqued my interest in a, a a very big way. I'm not a big fan of Tom Cruise movies for a lot of different reasons, but that's uh, 
that's a big one. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. Anything else that you wanted to add before? No, no. I just enjoy listening and, uh, you know, keep up the great work, man. No, oh, thank you. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. And I think that clears off our list of callers for the evening. So we're going to, I think, call that uh, a wrap on this episode of The Breakdown. Like I said, we're going to have the uh, the the full-length conversation uh, posted early for our Patreon supporters in probably about an hour here. Um, and if you're not one of our Patreon supporters, you can become one by visiting www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab. Um, you don't get any sort of, you get early access to the, the interview episodes. Um, and we try to do some like bonus giveaways once or twice a year for our, our Patreon supporters, but we'll never ever put anything behind a paywall because that's not how conversations happen or work or any of that. So uh, if you do appreciate the kind of content, that uh, we're producing here in the breakdown and you want to help support that, you can do that again by visiting www.patreon.com slash the breakdown AB. And that conversation with Mr. Lekasik will be going live for the rest of the interwebs, which is like a series of connected tubes uh, on Wednesday. And then we'll be back again a week tonight for another one of our live Alberta politics roundups. If you're not following us on the Twitter machine or on Facebook or Instagram, you totally should. And if you want to watch clips of the shows that you're listening to now um, with little to no interaction, you can also follow us on, on the TikTok. But we're, we're absolute garbage at TikTok. So maybe, I don't know, don't do that. Don't follow us on TikTok. Um, and that's it. It's going to be an interesting week. We should probably start to see some announcements coming out. We're four days away from the official results of the election. We're also potentially four days away for some claims for judicial recounts and at least a couple of the, the constituencies. So it's uh, enjoy the nice weather while you can. Enjoy the little bit of a, a breather that we get while all of the politicians are taking a breather of their own because it sounds like Alberta politics is still only just ramping up in the the nutty so take a break take care of yourselves and as always keep the conversation going